What a, what a privilege and joy to be able to be back here at, at PFB again. Um, as Peter mentioned, uh, part of my role and privilege is to be here uh, uh, as part of Transformation Ministries. That's that covenanting association of congregations that PFB is a part of, some 165 and growing numbers of congregations throughout in Southern California and Arizona, Southern Nevada, Hawaii, uh, also in places like Indiana, Montana, Boise, the state of Washington, the city of Philadelphia, soon to be the city of Miami, and Lord willing, a, a new cluster of planted churches of up to 20 in Tijuana. So what a great uh, privilege it is to, to be able to be here and bring greetings to you on behalf of hundreds of women and men who are leaders in those congregations and thousands of people in churches of every type, speaking uh, all the different languages, placed by God sovereignly exactly where the kingdom of God is needed to be. This church, as you may know or may not know, has historically been uh, a, a part of our association uh, as a leader and supporter. Your leaders and your staff are leaders in our larger association. And uh, one of the really important dynamics of being a part of a larger association of which you are a part it extends and expands the impact of the kingdom of God, of every single church. So on behalf of the association that you're a part of, uh, good morning and greetings to you this day. And so let me just, just get something out of the way that has nothing to do with the sermon today at all, really. But it's just too cute not to share with you. Yesterday, I was up in my home office, and our little grandson lives with us, and he's uh, three, three and a half. And uh, I, I don't know why I thought this. It's just that I'm a youth pastor at heart and I can't help myself. And so he was sitting on my lap and I got one of those, you know, those return address ink stampers. You know what I mean? And so I just thought it'd be cute. I, I said, Sebi, come here, come here, come here. So I got, our, his name is Sebastian, Sebi. And I said, stick your hand out. He stuck his hand out and I got that stamper and he goes, you know, afraid. And I went, ching and then put the return address, and he goes, he's like, whoa, he thought that was so cool. And so I put it back in the desk. Well, I went out and ran a couple of errands. Yeah. On my desk, I had printed out some notes for preaching today. And when I got home, I don't know if you can see these. But there's about 600 return stamps all over my, you know. So if I'm preaching along and all of a sudden I say, William and Joy Nolte, 1377, Moonshadow, that's, you know, that's Sebastian for you. But, you know, isn't that just the way it is? That's living right there, huh? I need to frame this and remind me what's really important in life. Hey, as a congregation, you and we um, have been going through the story and, uh, uh, it's, I, I know that uh, just talking with the staff that, it's, that uh, so many of you have been engaged, uh, been preaching each week, going through uh, the, the scriptures here, and have then also taken the opportunity to buy extra copies to give to your family and friends, which is just a great, isn't that, a, if you've done that, what a great and easy and, and helpful thing to do for uh, your oikos, your family and friends, to encourage them to, to join along and read, and I would say hopefully then invite them to come with you uh, in worship as, as we study together uh, the story uh, of how it is that God broke into history and led us all the way to redemption 
in Christ and where we are today. Uh, we're in, in the story today, we, we are at a threshold uh, time and period in both history and in the scriptures, literally on the threshold of what has been going on. The story of Joshua, also the book of Joshua in our Bibles. And it, it, it occurs to me that, that it must have been some kind of crazy deja vu experience for Joshua. If you know the story, you, you might remember that a generation before, where we pick up here in the book of Joshua in our Bibles, a generation before, God had led the people miraculously out of Egypt by great signs and wonders and power, led them, gave them his word, the Ten Commandments, formed them into his people, led them right up, right up to the front door of the promised land. And then they sent the spies in and they came back and, and they spent a good bit of time going throughout the land. They came back and said, well, this place is awesome. It's sort of like living in Bakersfield and coming to Pomona. It's like, whoa, this place is awesome. <laughs> it's true. Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. So, so they came back and they said, it's, it's true, man. This, this promised land is promised. It's got fruit flowing, milk and honey, and it was so awesome. And so they were all excited about it. And, but then they started saying, yeah, but, you know, there is one small problem. There are giants in the land. There are strong cities in the land. And then they started talking over it, and, and 10 out of the 12 somehow convinced everyone that in spite of the fact that God said, I'm going to lead you into the promised land. They talked the whole, all the people out of it. And Pastor Glenn, if you were here last week, uh, kind of left us off there uh, in, in terms of the, the uh, narrative of the story. And, and so here's Joshua now. A generation later, a whole generation has passed, and now he, he must, we don't have his journals or his diary, but somewhere in there he wrote down, oh my gosh, I've been here before. It seems like I've been here before, and he had been there before. Unfortunately, an entire generation missed out on being a part of what God had invited them to be a part of. An entire generation wandered around and squandered around what God had offered them, both in terms of being a part of his plan in history and their own blessing. But now Joshua is back. Only two, Joshua and Caleb. They simply missed experiencing what God had invited them to be a part of because of fear and lack of trust. They just, in, in spite of what God said. And so in Numbers 13, 31, it says, we can't, this is what the, the, the spies said when they were talking the people out of it. We can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. And then this is just one of the craziest and funniest things and tragically funny things in all of the scripture. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to them, and we looked the same to them, which if you were here last week, I love what Pastor Glenn said. He said, really? Who asked them if we look like grasshoppers? But we look like grasshoppers, which has led me to understand that there's, an, there's a whole category of theology that no one's put in, put in a book yet. I just think someone here should do that. I think Pastor Peter should, you know, in his spare time. You know what? It's a category of theology, and it's called grasshopper theology. Right? And I just think that this should be on the cover of the book. <laughs> grasshopper theology. Grasshopper theology is very simple. Grasshopper theology says, it doesn't matter what God says, your problems are bigger than God. 
That was what was going on there, right? Do you suppose that grasshopper theology is around in our world today? Do you suppose that in this room there's a little bit of grasshopper theology going on? Not in this service. Last service there was plenty. That's a fun thing about multiple services. You can, you can mess around with all the other crowds and make you feel, you know, it's, it's just what we do as preachers. It's a little secret you don't know. Grasshopper theology. Unfortunately, in spite of what God said, they talk themselves out of being a part of God's plan. Now, so here we are in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is, of course, uh, a, a record of an historical time in, in our world. So in, in it, literally, it does record what happened. Of course, it's full of God's purpose and the principles of God and, and, and really important uh, dynamics of understanding God and his people. And um, you know, I was thinking when Pastor Glenn asked me to preach the book of Joshua, like, really? And how long do I have? Really? So let's do a quick survey of the book of Joshua. This is really fast. Talk really fast. Okay, got it? But now let's look at the, the basic way that Joshua, the, the narrative. Beginning, uh, the, the issue with, with the book is that now, after a generation, they're ready to go into the promised land. They are, let's get that map up here and just take a look for a while. And that's a general idea of, of the, the land of Cana at the time of Joshua. So they're on this side of the Jordan River, okay? And so the first few chapters talk about how it is that God is going to get this nation across the Jordan. And so some amazing, amazing things happen. And I realize that there are many of us here to, that may know the story of Joshua, but, and many perhaps have no clue or just very little. So just a brief survey and invite you, if you haven't read from the story and then maybe even the, the chapters in the rest of your, your Bible to fill it in. But in the first chapters, we have this dynamic where God says, that uh, you're going to cross the, the, the Jordan River. There's several problems there. One, the scripture just, it's almost a, a small little line that we might go over. The time of year, it was harvest time, and the, at harvest time, the river was flooded. So it wasn't like it was a little crick up in the Midwest, so we say crick. It wasn't like a little stream. It was a river, and it was in flood. And there weren't any bridges or subways to go under. There was no Army Corps of Engineers to float one of those bridges across. And so they had an issue. And God said, here's, here's how you're going to get across a flooded river. I want the leaders to go and stick your feet in the flooded river. Okay. And then it's going to dry up. Well, it's exactly what happened. They took the Ark of the Covenant, representing God going first. The leaders went out. The people followed. As soon as they stepped in the flooded river, the, the river dried up from far upstream. There was a collapse, or somehow God dammed up the waters way upstream, and the river dried, and they went across. Well, then they got over, and the, the fact is the land was filled with fortified cities. And so Jericho was in, in the way. And if you look at the map, you can see, it, you know, crossing there that Jericho was one of those, strategically speaking, you had to get past Jericho if you were going to get into the rest of the land. And so it was a fortified city. Archaeologists uh, confirmed that it was an incredibly strong fortified city. Walls, you know, 25 feet thick and 16 feet tall, double walls, all sorts of things that archaeologists archaeology has confirmed. And so the plan was this, send some, a couple of spies in there. And so they go into the city, they sneak in and they happen to, to, to be protected by Rahab, who was a harlot. 
and uh, she lies when they ask her where they are, and, and she protects them. But while they're there, she asks for mercy, and because she shows them mercy, they promise that she will be spared when God delivers the uh, city of Jericho. And in fact, she is spared. She lets them down through her window on the cord, and then, and then they hang a, a sign out the window, the scarlet cord, and, and she is spared and her family. And if you look at the way that God used that act of mercy and God included that person who was not an Israelite and not a high-class uh, uh, leader in society, in fact, probably an outcast in society, but God took that person who chose God's plan. And if you read one of the genealogies of Jesus... Who do you find? Rahab. That's how God works. So they, so they, they spied out the land. And then this is what God said. This is how you're going to take the city. Don't go up there and attack the thing. Just go up and walk around it once each day for six days. And, you know, and blow the trumpets. Okay, all right. And then, I mean, like, what's the plan? And then on the seventh day, go and go around seven times, blow the trumpets, yell really loud. That's it. So they did. And the walls collapse. Archaeologists have confirmed that at some point in that time in history, there was, a, there was a catastrophic collapse of the major wall that went around Jericho. I could have told them that. Huh? And so then they conquered Jericho as a gateway city. They went on to Ai, uh, full of confidence. But when they got to Ai, it didn't go so well. They were sure they were going to roll right into Ai, but all of a sudden they, they, were, they were pushed back and defeated. And it turned out the reason they were not able to defeat Ai is that someone didn't do what God said as, as it pertained to Jericho. Because God said, don't take anything in the city. Don't take any of the gold, the jewels. Don't take any possessions. Destroy the city. It's all banned from your personal possession. But one guy couldn't help himself. So Achan took some stuff, and he hid it. And when they went on to Ai, they were unsuccessful, and God revealed to Joshua and the leaders that it was because there was disobedience and that it was very clear what God asked them to do, and they didn't do it. And so they had to deal with Achan and his family, and he was literally, he, he was killed for his disobedience. And then um, they were, after that, able to conquer Ai. Now, if you're a strategist, if you think about this strictly as a, an historical, military, strategic operation, this is the way it plays out. They went in, they conquered the central Canaan and the strongholds, and then they fanned out to the south and took the strongholds there, and there were various coalitions of kings and leaders, and you can fill in the blanks by reading this yourself, but essentially this is the way that they... Um, the, the strategy was, and you can see the, the uh, chapter references. And then having uh, secured the center and the south, and they turned and secured all the strongholds of the north. And so that was the campaign that God uh, that, uh, used Joshua to go in and secure uh, the land. And then after it was secured by, gathering, by securing the strongholds, whether they were be cities or geographical valleys and, and hills and so forth, and then after that, when it was largely secured, then they divided up the land, and it looked like this. If you have a map here, that this is where then all the tribes 
the, the, play, the, the land that they were all uh, given as part of their inheritance. And then at the very end, of course, of Joshua's life and the book of Joshua itself, he gathers them together again. And sort of has a revival remembrance meeting where he goes back over the history. He reminds them that, that God kept his promises, that God told us if we followed him that we would be successful, and we have been. That God said if we were faithful and courageous as God invited us to be, that he would give us the promised land, and he has. And then the, one of the last things that Joshua does is he reminds us it's got to be new and fresh for every single generation. You've got to decide today for yourself, in your life, in your family, and in your time, will you be faithful moving forward? Isn't it interesting that Joshua kind of saw three of those happen? He saw the first time when they decided not to be faithful and a whole generation wandered. And then he saw a whole generation go into the land and and, uh, secure the land. And then just before he went on to be with the Lord forever, he saw that next generation and he saw forward and he reminded them, you also have to choose whether you're going to be a part of God's plan for you in the future. So what does all this mean for us? What does it mean for you as an individual? What does it mean for us as as the church or this congregation as part of the, the large church of Jesus Christ? Well, any way you look at it, you have to you, you would have to conclude and make the statement, Joshua certainly got on board with God's plan and experienced being a part of God's plan, correct? Is there anybody here that would dispute that? If you did, if you did dispute that, you'd be wrong, all right? So we all agree, right? So any way you look at it, you have to say that, wow, Joshua, he got on board. He, he, God used him. He got on board with God's plan. It was a personal experience for him too. And so as a, as a person, he experienced God's plan and God's blessing. And then as a nation, because of him, a nation experienced God's plan and God's blessing. And then if you look at history, you see, we're the beneficiaries of all this stuff, those of us now who are, who are Christ followers. All this makes a difference because it goes all the way through God's redemptive plan. So we receive the blessing, literally because of Joshua getting on board. And one of the things that we've talked about with a story is the, the terminology, the idea of the lower story and the upper story. Familiar with this? I know Pastor Glenn's been talking about it. And the idea that, that there, the lower story is sort of what's, what's going on literally in history, the actual events. And, and, and then to ask us to think that there, there is what's going on here in, in so-called lower story, but then there's the upper story. The upper story is what's going on? What is God intending? What are the principles there? What are the timeless things? What, what is that we may not see in the context literally of the lower story, but we may see later on that God was actually doing something far greater that, we, that, has, that we're calling the upper story. And so my question would be this. What, what is this upper story? What are the principles that are going on in the upper story that make the story and the experience of Joshua very contemporary to you and to me? Yes, it's history. It can be proved in history, and I, I love all that. But as I read it and you read it, well, what does that have to do with me? What, what's the same for us as it was for Joshua and for the nation of Israel at this time? What is it what would it look like for us to get on board with God's plan? Let me, let me ask you this question. I was talking about Joshua's deja vu earlier. So a whole generation had passed. They came back to the same land, <laughs> and it was the same promise. And do you suppose there were still giants in the land? 
There were still giants in the land. Are there any giants in the land that you know of? Any giants in your land? Any challenges that are huge, personal? Any, any problems that you look and say, man, this is a huge problem. Here's my suggestion. You can go with the principles of Joshua. You can always go with grasshopper theology and waste some more time. So what is it that was going on that, that really in, instructs us on how to get on board and experience uh, God's plan and God's blessing? I'm suggesting that we need to remember three things that are hugely important. First, as, as far as it, it goes with, with experiencing God's plan and blessing being used by God and blessed by God in our lives, we, we need to remember this. First and foremost, it is always about the strength of the Lord. It's the Lord's strength that makes it possible for us to do what we do. One of the most profound discoveries or awarenesses, I think, that I've seen in just a long, long time comes uh, when I look at, at Deuteronomy 31 and Joshua chapter 1. And, I, and this is what I, I call it. The he wills of Deuteronomy 31 become the I wills of Joshua 1. And this is what I mean. In Deuteronomy 31, we have Moses at the end of his life and journey and ministry. And Moses is informing the people uh, and Joshua that God has let him know that he's not going to finish the journey of going into the promised land, that his, his leadership is done, but that Joshua has been chosen. And so he tells the people and Joshua several things that God is going to do. And he says, he will. So if you just read through uh, Moses' speech there in Deuteronomy 31, you see a whole bunch of he wills and the Lord wills. All right, so he, the Lord your God himself, he will go overhead, cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations. Uh, the Lord, he will do what he has promised to do. Be strong and courageous because he will never leave you. Now, in Joshua 1, we have almost the same statements, in some cases the exact same statements and phrases. In this case, it's not, Josh, it's not Moses saying to Joshua what he, God, is going to do. It's God saying to Joshua, Joshua, I, God, will do. So if you read Joshua 1, it says, I am. This is God speaking to Joshua. I am about to give them to the Israelites I will give you every place as I promised, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will never leave you, because I swore. Do you see what happened here? This great dynamic that what happened is that Joshua heard all these great things that God was going to do, and those are great things. They're great promises, and you could, you could easily say that should be enough, and it is enough. Trust what Moses said. Look, if Moses said God said it, there's plenty of experience to say God probably said it. Right? I mean, if you know the story. And so there's no reason to believe that Joshua doubted that God said that. But isn't there something amazing and powerful and gracious and awesome that God does not leave you with a he said deal, but God actually will speak to you and say, this is what I am going to do in your life. That's powerful for me. And I think if Joshua had any doubts before, that uh, certainly he, there, there must have been times when he said, well, God said, God told me. So the he wills become the I wills of Joshua. There's one other thing here just to remind us that is the power of the Lord. And by the way, you know, once you think of uh, 
the promises of God and that God promises and that we can do. We sang some great songs today that, that talked about how it's the power of the Lord and no one can stand against us. Why? Because it's the power of the Lord, not our power, things like that. Um, there is a great passage that happens that we, that we see recorded in Joshua chapter 5. And if you think about the way this plays out, and in the summary I kind of gave it, they crossed the Jordan, um, they prepared themselves, they had you know, worship and preparation, God told them what they were supposed to do about the marching, but just before they started doing it, there, there is that moment, have you ever been in this situation? There's that moment just before you, you execute the plan. There's a plan, you have your instructions, you know what you're supposed to do as the, maybe the leader, but that there's the, just a few moments right before it happens, there's those quiet moments where you're going, ah. yeah, am I the only one that does this? I don't think so. So I don't know if that's how Joshua was, but I know that he, he saw before him a daunting task. He had great promises of God. He had great evidence of God. But there is that moment certainly when he certainly as a human being said, wow, is this really going to be possible? And so here's, here's what God does for Joshua. And Jeff, it's recorded in the fifth chapter. When Joshua was near Jericho, this is right before they were going to go uh, in, into action. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. That rocks. If he had any doubt at all, some angel of God, God himself with a drawn sword is standing out there going, here I am, let's go. I like it. It's sort of like, I mean, you know, it's way, way, way less, but it's sort of like if, uh, you know, a group of really uh, young studs uh, challenged me to a pickup game of basketball. And you can see, well, you can see what you can see. And so I'm, I'm with fear and trepidation, I'm walking into the gym, but at the door of the gym, there's this dude named LeBron. He says, hey, Willie. I heard your, these young studs are taking you on. He, and LeBron says, Willie, give me the ball. I got it. See what I'm saying? Now, now magnify that to the commander of the army of the Lord. And so what does it remind us? The power of the Lord is amazing and awesome. So number one, the strength of the Lord. But number two, don't forget this. Yes, still need courage. It takes courage to step out and do what God has asked us to do. You know, I just put some phrases here in three verses, parts of three verses, but it says, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. It's like if God says that three or four times, right after one after another, you think that's an emphatic thing that God has in mind? We have this joke when we travel as a family. And you know, now that we have another little one that lives with us, we get the are we there yet thing all the time. So you know that that. But we have another funny thing. I can always tell when certain members of my family, and she will be here the next service, so I may not tell the story, are ready to stop to eat. Every stinking restaurant sign on the freeway, I have to hear about it. Hey, look at that. Hey, there's this. There's a that diner. There's a this. There's a there. There's a, like 30 or 40. You see? You, stop looking at her. Yeah, see? It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. So... Here's God saying to Joshua, yes, 
the armies, the commander of the armies of the Lord are here, but you've got a part too. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And it takes courage to stand up and embrace what God has called us to do. Why? Because there are still giants in the land. God never says he's going to take the giants away. He just says he's going to take care of the giants. But we have to step out and be courageous. The good news is that right after God tells Joshua, hey, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to face your life. It's going to take courage to face your ministry. It's going to take courage to face the issues of your family, your career, your health, whatever it is. Then he reminds him, I will never leave you or forsake you. See, that's the good news. So in those quiet moments when we are a little fearful and we wonder, can we do this? Then right after the be courageous, God says, this is why you can be strong and courageous because I'm not going to leave you alone. So courage. Number three, if we want to get on board and experience God's plan and blessing, it takes both trust and obedience. It takes faith and obedience. We need to be people who believe that although we maybe have never been this way before, we trust God to lead us. And if God says we need to do it, we need to do it. And the the story of Joshua is full of all kind of crazy things where you go, if you really stop and think about it, you're going, really? Because why do you want us to do that? All right, so there's this huge, massive group of people and an army and all this sort of stuff that need to cross the Jordan and, and conquer the land. But God says, hey, don't do it that way. Go stand in a flooded river first. What? Because it just doesn't sound very strategic. And then you cross over the land, and then God says, hey, by the way, before you go into battle, I want all the men who have been born in the last generation, all the men need to get circumcised. What? We got to do what? And what does that have to do with fighting the battle? It just didn't seem to make sense. And, and then you're going to go attack the city, but you're not going to attack the city. You're just going to walk around the city. And I don't know if I'm the only one, I just know that I'm not, that once in a while that God asks me to obey and I just don't see the outcome. But if I don't, the outcome never is good. And so if we're going to be a part of this great, these great unfolding chapters that God invites us to be a part of, we need to be people who have decided we will do what God says, we'll trust God and we'll obey then that gets me to what I call sort of three things to remember and three things I call our requirements. Obviously, there's, they're interlaced and, and over, or overlapping each other, but I guess I would call these requirements. Not in a legalistic way, but in a requirement way. I, uh, over the years, have just discovered that, uh, because I've seen it so often, that legalism, legalism just kills. It kills God's grace. It kills God's presence. So I look for, no matter what sermon I'm preaching, I try to look for something to say against legalism. So I'm saying it right now. I'm against legalism. However, these things are required. All right, and there's a difference. What is required to both experience and get on board? We need to be a people of the book, God's word. And isn't it so clear, isn't it so clear that God says to Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do what I say you should do. And if you do what I say you should do, as I have given it to you in my word, you will in fact be prosperous and successful no matter what it is I've called you to do. It's a great promise. Unfortunately, there's a, 
There, the example of Ai or Jericho, when they didn't do what God said, they defied God, and then they, they did not have success in the next step. And you know what's interesting? Did you, did you, you know what Joshua did after he discovered that they disobeyed God? It's recorded in, Matt, in uh, Joshua 8.34. After he discovered that th- there was disobedience about Jericho, and they dealt with it, and then the whole A, they conquered this, the next city, Ai. Then he stopped the whole thing. He gathered all the people together. You know what he did? It's recorded. He read the entire law to them again. It was like he said, okay, people, apparently we're not clear on what God wants us to do here. God wants us to be a people who listen to what he says and obey his word. And so in, uh, as recorded in Joshua eight thirty four, he reads the whole deal again. Number two requirement, be a people of prayer and worship. In Joshua 3, it says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. If you, as you track through what God does in and through the nation in Joshua and really throughout his word, you'll see a pattern. And the pattern is this. God calls his people to a real and genuine and significant connection with him first. And then they go out and accomplish great things for him. He wants his people to have an encounter with him. It's symbolized in many ways in the Older Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the very presence of God. God illustrates this by calling the people together to prepare themselves, to consecrate themselves, to be connected with God, to put God first as symbolized by having the Ark of the Covenant go first. And then great things follow when they have that encounter with God. There's one small negative example here, example of when they didn't do that, besides Jericho. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? But there's another little uh, part of the narrative sort of tucked in here, and, and it, it shows what happens when they did not take the time to listen to God before they decided to do something. As they were going through the land and they were gathering you know, steam and, and momentum, there were some, some people from a nearby city, the Gibeonites, and, they, and they, had a, they hatched a very creative plan. What they did is they got a bunch of people, a party of people, and they got raggedy old dirty clothes, made themselves look horrible. They put uh, rotten, moldy food in their bags, and they came stumbling in to the, the encampment of Israelites. They've gone, we've come a long, long way. We're from a far, far away. You can see you know, we've traveled far and we've heard about you and we just, we want you to give us your word that when you finally get to us, that you'll have mercy on us. Well, the fact is they were just down the road. They were sort of like next. And they kind of knew they were next. And so they tried to trick the Israelites and here's what happened. You'll find this in Joshua chapter nine. And so they went in and they did this whole great act, as it were. And this is what it says, Joshua 9, 14. The men of Israel looked and sampled their provisions. Here it is. But they did not ask the Lord what to do. And they made a mistake. And I I would simply suggest to you, it's as simple and profound as that. Not to be crippled, but to say, am I connected as a people are we making sure that we're connected to God, that we have open avenues of communication through prayer and worship so that we're asking God and listening to God and doing what God wants us to do? Third, be a people identified with God. You know, when the, when the um, spies went into Jericho into, when they, and they met Rahab, 
Here's some of the things that she said describing what the people were saying about the Israelites. She says, and this is also her personal testimony, (laughs) I know that the Lord has given this land to you. When we, the people, heard that you were coming, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed. And then she says this, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You see, they were identified with the power of God, the purposes of God. The, the, the uh, reputation of the mighty deeds and acts of God went before God. And they needed to be identified with Yahweh, God. And I'm suggesting that it's, it's, it still remains the same. Push all the way to the New Testament. That's us. We're the, we're the current people of God. And this is what Jesus says about us in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. And so we need to be identified with God and the things of God, the power of God, the grace of God, the message of the gospel, the power of, of, of what God can do, the miracles that God can do in the lives of people. I'm afraid that sometimes we're not identified with that God, but we're identified with something else. We're identified with rules and regulation. We're identified with hate-mongering and not grace-giving. We may be identified by the things that we are against and not the things that we are for. We may be identified uh, with certain political parties or persuasions. We may be identified by certain ages, ethnicities, or socioeconomic groupings and issues, but not identified with the God of grace and God of glory. And we need to work diligently and carefully and prayerfully to make sure that the fame of God goes before, not us, but the Lord himself. Because here's what happened. It's true that the nation of Canaan was, the conquest of Canaan by Joshua happened to fulfill God's plan, a promise. It's true that part of that was a punishment for the extreme and unspeakable wickedness of the satanic Canaanite cults. Those things are true. But the ultimate higher purpose for all this that was going on, that God was then and continues now to be, is committed to make himself and his blessings known in our world. That, that, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the privileged call that each of us has. That through us, through, whether it's you an individual or you a congregation, God's most important goal is that through you, the world will see God himself and his blessing. I just wonder today if we would stand back and say, what kind of church is God looking for so that God can inhabit this place? What kind of heart is God looking for? What kind of spirit and and attitude is God looking for so that God can inhabit my life and my attitude and my spirit and my actions? What kind of church is God looking for that can make a major difference in the kingdom of God? What kind of spirit and person is God looking for and inviting to experience his blessing and his purpose? You know, the great, one, one of the greatest things about not being in glory yet, God's not through with us yet. One of the greatest promises we have is if God has given us today, then maybe we're standing on the shores of a flooded Jordan River and God is inviting you across. Maybe as a church, God has allowed you generation after generation after generation to stay here as a vital kingdom community because 
for another generation, you're standing at the, uh, the shores of a flooded Jordan River and God is saying, cross over. Is that you today? God, thank you for the promise that you will never leave us or you will never forsake us. Thank you for the reality that you never say there aren't giants in the land, but that you say you will lead us there. And God, only you know every heart in this room, and, and I keep, I, Lord, you know I've been jumping back and forth between individual lives and corporate reality. So God, sort it out. You know each heart. There's, there are people here today, Lord, who, who are facing personal giants. Lord, I pray that you would speak to those people today. Let them see you. Give them courage. Call them across. And Lord, you know that as a congregation, you've given this church a kingdom stewardship to fulfill. I pray that you will continue to empower, direct, and give them courage as well. I pray, God, that this would be one of your churches filled with people who seek to make your name famous and your glory the focus. May it be so among your people. In Jesus' name we claim it. Amen. Great day to be in church. Keep reading the story. God bless you. Have a great day.